Howdy, I'm Paul Isaac Yoder, this is Author's Dozen, a podcast where I explore barriers to storytelling by writing one novel every month for 12 months. Please enjoy. My book about the code-switching wolf riders is coming along nicely. By that, I mean that it's difficult almost every single day. People wonder, where do good ideas come from? And I'm not dismissive of that question, uh, so if I get a good idea someday, I'll tell you. Uh, It's to my personal advantage uh, to pretend that some muse descends from on high to fart mystical story ambrosia into my mouth or something. After all, if ideas are exclusive and spiritual, and if creatives are the professionals and their job is hard to do, creatives have less competition and more mystique. Art is more impressive when it's rare and religious. In the last episode, you saw me work out the idea in real time, or as close to real time as I could get at the time. You heard me ask... um, What if the American dream is a lie based on our class system? And the answer is, I'll write a book about a dude riding a wolf. You heard me ask a really hard question and then totally wuss out. And that's where good ideas come from, as far as I can tell. All right, picture a visual artist. She has two options before her. She can choose to make a sculpture out of clay, or she can choose to make it out of butter. Now, you probably think it's better to use clay. After all, it's easier to work with, it's cheaper, uh, the sculpture will last longer, and it's less likely to be eaten. Whereas, butter is notoriously buttery. But it's kind of impressive, isn't it, when the artist chooses the more difficult material? It's the reason you probably value a live pianist over a computer-programmed piano. Even though a player piano is capable of more complexity than a live pianist could ever achieve, it's not all that impressive once you get past the technology involved to watch a computer read ones and zeros. But you can take that to its absurd conclusion. What if the pianist chopped off her hands and performed by spitting marbles at the keys? It would be impressive in a way, but the music would end up sounding like spilled silverware or one of Paul McCartney's solo albums. And that's probably the reason you're listening to the podcast. Nobody really cares if I write 12 mediocre books. L. Ron Hubbard, you know, did that. But if I write them in 12 months while documenting the process, something gets more interesting. The effort involved becomes more worth observing. But let's return to the butter sculpture. Now that the sculpture must be made with a fickle material that loses structural integrity at room temperature, even a simple life-size sculpture of a cow would, and did, cause Texas Senator Ted Cruz to tweet, Wow, a cow made of butter. My girls would love it. In fact, the first sentence Caroline ever said was, I like butter. But the whole reason anybody would care about a cow made of butter is not only for the work involved, but also the result. What does that mean, you ask, with your tiny, tiny brain? Comprehension is key. So once you've made something hard for yourself in one way, make them easier in another. Running a marathon in under two hours is very impressive. Running a marathon in full firefighting gear is very impressive. 
but try to do both at once and you'll fail and your failure won't even be interesting. Forming a cow out of butter is impressive. Sculpting said cow with your eyes closed is impressive. Try to do both and you'll end up with something that looks like Senator Ted Cruz, but I'm making the podcast harder for myself by insulting a political figure about his appearance, so I will dull that difficulty um, by talking about how unfair that is, which is a cop-out. Art is a series of cop-outs, actually. Even the most daring writers write using language. If I wanted to be really dangering, I'd subvert language by talking in, like, high-pitched clicks or something. Um, But it doesn't matter how hard you make something for yourself if what you end up with in the end is gibberish. So I've made things really hard for myself. By writing this book, I'm inherently critiquing the American dream by saying, no matter how hard you try, you can't rise above, you know, certain levels in the eyes of some people. I'm critiquing the idea that in America, anybody can be whatever they want to be. Somebody could be so accomplished that they become senator of America's second largest state and still get made fun of for their face. I don't want to have to do all that I want to do with this story and be a white guy talking about race in America. I could give my amateurish take on race relations, but I can't do that and. It would, as I said before, consume my entire attention. Okay, so is the advice to just do really hard stuff all the time? No, actually do really easy stuff at first. For instance, what would you think of someone trying to carve a cow statue out of butter if they'd never carved before? Carved anything, I mean. What if this person could carve, but they'd never studied the intricacies of the majestic dairy cow and they put its udder on its head or something? I'd laugh at them because I'm a cow expert. Uh, And the only reason you can hear my sonorous voice right now is that Mrs. Dinkeldorf taught me good grammar in the grade of the first. And then I learned to type and I read as many as five whole books before attempting to write my first novel. And unfortunately, I got to disagree with Senator Ted Cruz on this one. Now, he did claim the first sentence Caroline ever said was, I like butter. And that's wrong. I think her first sentence was yes, or maybe it was no. Or maybe Caroline's first sentence was, Ted, what kind of psychopath feeds their daughter straight up butter all by itself? And Ted, what kind of butter savant would respond to that specific thing with their first ever construction of words to make a qualitative judgment Not about you or mom, but about butter. And why, Ted, if all that were true, my first sentence would thereby define for the rest of eternity whether I would love a cow made of butter, Ted. See, we start simple. Your first words will not be your best. But only in trying for your best every step of the way do your steps get better. So don't practice mediocrity. And that's Almost all the advice I can give you, actually. All done. You know, podcast over. It's in practice that things get weird. (music) 
So how does this apply to my code switching Wolf Rider story? Well, the way I made sure that this book is good practice for me is that I try to set myself concrete goals. I've got three distinct ways of making sure I practice well. I study, I question, and I commit. Um, today, I'm only going to focus on studying because it's super positive. Um, so one way I study writing is by reading. I don't mean that I read books on how to write and not just those, you know. I read every day. It doesn't matter what exactly I'm reading. If what I'm reading is good enough to hold my attention, that's what I read. And this is where it gets great. You'll find that you're already halfway done with this step. You will naturally consume what you long to create. If you are a chef who hates food, a novelist who doesn't like novels, or a builder who doesn't like architecture, well, I'm sorry for your wasted ambition. In fact, just a side note, I've never met the food-hating chef or the building indifferent builder, but I've got so many writers who don't read. Does that strike you as weird at all? Does that strike you as someone trying to find an outlet for some other ambition that isn't actually the writing itself? See, you'll consume what you naturally like, and you'll try your hand at what you naturally like. Congrats, you're a natural. The next part is natural, too. Your taste in what you like will change. Let's consider, for instance, a person who grew up reading and loving the Harry Potter series. Statistically, I've just described you, uh, so I'll tell this story in the second person. Anyway, let's follow you as you wait for each Harry Potter book to come out. The first one is awesome. You love the characters and the world, and you secretly wish you could be Harry or one of his friends. But as you pre-order the sequel in the Scholastic catalog, you get a bit nervous. What if it's different? What if Harry and his world changes? Your questions are answered as you place the second book on your floor and prop your head up on a pillow and devour. Yeah, it's different and you like it. Harry has been changed by the events of the last book and he uses his new character traits to face down problems that would have destroyed book one, Harry. So you finish reading and pre-order the next book. As time goes on, something weird begins to happen. Each book is slightly different from the last. As Harry and the others get older, as you, the reader, get older, the books get more complicated. Some people say that the series is getting darker, but that's not exactly true. Good often triumphs over evil. Harry and his friends are made better, for the most part, by the trials they face. But the books are definitely introducing complexity. And you wouldn't have it any other way. Reading that first book is nice, but you crave something more, more dangerous, more challenging, more true to your life. The first book is really good, and it's your favorite in some ways. But it's your favorite introduction. The other stories are like stories on a building, each one only possible because of the foundation beneath. And you reach the last book. You either like the direction the book went, or you didn't. Maybe you loved how much what's-his-face uh, death made you grieve. Maybe Harry's reaction to stress helps you categorize the difficulty life throws your way. But maybe you know the truth, that Hermione ended up romancing the wrong dude in her love triangle. But Harry Potter isn't all you read. You found other books that you like as much or even better than Harry Potter. You might have found that you like the Harry Potter movies or video games more and suddenly you're playing Pokemon or watching The Godfather. What happened? 
The whole time, you were just doing what you liked. You still can't explain why, but it was completely natural for you, dear listener, to go from reading Harry Potter to being a professional bodybuilder. Your friend had a different trajectory, and she says that Harry Potter led to her current marriage. See, through this whole story, you were unknowingly conducting experiments on yourself. By trying new things, you found what you did and didn't like. You liked the parts of Harry Potter that were about Hagrid, so you thought it might be cool to try being a big, beefy, buff bodybuilder. Or maybe your friend likes Snape. And to this day, she finds herself falling more and more in love with her brusque partner who does good deeds in secret. So this is kind of an upbeat podcast in the end because studying what you love is in some ways the most natural thing in the world. There are, however, times when you won't have the time or energy to conduct your experiments. There are times in your friend's life when she loves her Snape-like partner, uh, but there are other times when your friend has to buy Snape groceries or stand up for Snape when Snape is misunderstood, and it's not fun anymore, it's tiring, and your friend just wants to divorce Snape and go sleep by herself and eat Ben and Jerry's forever. But keep trying, you know. You won't always like studying what you're studying. Just remember why you study it in the first place. It brings you joy. Um, that's really all I've got to say for today. Start small, end as big as you can. Enjoy yourself. Now the podcast is over. For real.